are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. Um, We are going to be in the book of Matthew. We just finished our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, and now we are fast-forwarding all the way to the end, to the final three verses. So if you can find yourself in Matthew 28. So let's hear these words uh, from Jesus. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. As I said earlier, for the last couple months, we have read, we have studied, some of you have even memorized the entire Sermon on the Mount. And at the conclusion of his sermon, the people were not just amazed at Jesus' words. Right? Last week we said it's not enough simply to be amazed by what Jesus has said, but we also have to follow him wherever he goes. It's not enough to be amazed by Jesus. We must also follow Jesus. We saw that in the the same way that, that God spoke in the beginning and creation responded to him. Jesus, the God man, speaks on this mount and the people respond to him in faith and follow him. But maybe you left last week wondering, how do I follow Jesus? What do I have to do to follow him? What do I have to do to become a disciple, to follow this teacher who teaches like no other so we can be followers who follow no other? Part of following Jesus means inviting others to follow Jesus. It's to be a disciple. You hear our mission statement week in and week out, whether it's at this gathering or it's in your community groups, that we exist to build a community of disciples who love God and love their neighbor so that we can see disciples multiply here, there, and everywhere. But how do we do this? What do we need to be doing in order to create more followers of Jesus? Or have you ever wondered, what does it actually mean to... Just be a disciple. What does it mean to make other disciples? My hope and prayer today is to provide you with some clarity to answers to two questions. The first question is, what are they? What are disciples? And the second question is how they are made. 
Now, I won't be able to talk about everything that I want to talk about in this sermon, or we'll be here all afternoon. That's reserved for you in a podcast that Pastor Luke and I made called Made to Multiply. And you can find that where every uh, podcast are available. This is just a small snippet of what we've talked about on there. So I encourage you even after this, after the sermon is over, to go and, and listen to that, chew on it, talk about it with other folks within our church. But my hope is that by the end of the sermon, you will see clearly that we cannot make disciples of Jesus without Jesus. We cannot make disciples of Jesus without Jesus. So if you're ready to dive in, have your Bibles open to Matthew 28, the final verses there. Here comes the first point. You all ready to dive in? What they are. He says this in verse 18. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Just as we saw last week, Jesus taught as one who has authority. And here he says, I have authority. I not only have authority in all of heaven, but I have authority here on earth. To have authority means you are the author of all history. And he was even the author of his own story and our story. He had authority to lay down his life. Nobody took his life from him. He laid it down for us for the forgiveness of sins. And he had authority to raise his life up from the dead, canceling the debt of sin when he rose from the grave. He canceled death itself, the punishment of sin. And now he says to his disciples, because of that authority that I not only have over my life, but I have over your life, go. Go. Now, many people will look at this passage and think that go is the verb. For those of you language nerds like me, go is actually not a verb here. It's a participle. He's saying as you go, and the verb here, we see it in two words, but it's only one word in the original language. Make disciples. So he's saying as you go, as you rise, as you sit, as you eat, as you walk, as you work, as you talk, make disciples. He's not telling you to start doing think different things. He's telling you, do what you're already doing, but do it differently. Do it with the intention of making disciples. And think about who he's talking to here. Who is he talking to at the end of this gospel account? Anybody know? You can respond. It's okay. Who's he talking to? His disciples. He's telling people who are already disciples to do what? Make disciples. What can we take from this? Disciples don't just exist to consume the teachings of Jesus. Disciples exist to teach the teachings of Jesus. You, you with me? Disciples make other disciples. That's what Jesus is showing us here. They're to pass on what has already been passed on to them from Jesus. But before we make something, it's good to understand what it is we are actually making. I mean, it's similar to cooking a meal. Right? When we 
cook a meal, it's good for us to decide what it is we are cooking before we're ever pulling out the ingredients. I don't know if anybody has ever been there before. You go to the grocery store, and you have no idea what you're going to make for dinner that night. Anybody been there before? See, if I do that when I go down to Penn Mac in the Strip District, what's going to happen is I'm going to buy a whole lot of things that I don't actually need for dinner that evening, like a pepperoni roll here and a whole bowl of Kalamata olives over here and some extra cheese and some soppressata. Like, I'm just hungry. I'm not even talking about, not even thinking about what am I making And so it's good for us to ask the question, what is it we are actually making? We don't want to do the very foolish thing of going out, starting to do something for Jesus when we don't know exactly what it is he's asking us to do or to make. So it'd be good for us to have a working definition of what is a disciple before we even begin to start making disciples. So what do you have to do in order to become a disciple? I remember sitting with a former member of our church. You might, some of you might remember him. His name was Adam. He's since moved away to, to Arizona. Adam first came to our, our Sunday gathering when we met down in Lawrenceville at the Row House Cinema. Came off the streets. And like I do with most folks who are new to the church, I, I take them out for coffee, and I ask them, Hey, tell me about your story. Uh, do you consider yourself a Christian? And he said, yeah, I consider self, my, myself a Christian. And this is what I do with everybody who claims the name of Jesus. I ask him a very simple question. What makes you a Christian? So Adam starts going down this laundry list of things that he does for God. I serve. I'm a good person. I do this, I do that, do, 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 do. And I just leaned over the table and I said, what what if I told you that Christianity is, is not so much about what you do for God, but it's more about what God has done for you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he said, tell me more, I've never heard this before. So I explained to him the gospel, and two weeks later, he started putting his faith not in the works that he has done, but in the works that Christ alone has accomplished for him in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. He becomes a believer. Now, what did I want Adam to see in that conversation, and what do I want you to see right now? Is that to become a disciple of Jesus doesn't begin with something you do. It begins with something that was done for you. It doesn't begin with you. It begins with what Jesus did. It doesn't begin with us. It begins with what God did, that God has originally made us, male and female, in his image to be good because God himself, the triune God, created us in his image because he is good. But what we decided to do is try to recreate and rewrite and remake our own stories and our own lives. And therefore, we have separated ourselves from the story of God. We've not only done wrong wrong things, which the Bible calls transgressions or sins, but we've also done right things for the wrong reasons, which is also a sin called self-righteousness or works righteousness. 
We've separated ourselves from the story that God has originally written from, for us. But God, in his rich mercy, he has sent Jesus Christ to live the life that we were supposed to live. He died the death we were supposed to die, all so that we can be remade and recreated in his image. That through faith in Christ Jesus and the work and the person of who he is, who he is and what he has done, what is true of Jesus now becomes true of us. His identity becomes our identity. What belongs to Jesus now belongs to us. The love of the Father that belongs to Jesus now belongs to us. The pleasure that God has for Jesus is now he's pleased with us, not based on what we do, but based on what Jesus has done. This is the gospel story, that the old has gone and the new has arrived. The old man lies dead in the grave where Jesus was laid. But the new man, through faith in Christ, is now resurrected with Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father. This is the gospel story. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is not something we make ourselves into, but something we are made into. And Jesus was clear about this in Matthew 4.19. He said to them, that is his disciples, follow me. And he says, I will make he doesn't say you will make yourselves. He says, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you. He makes us into fishers of men. He reorients our occupation, our calling, our vocation in this life to say what you thought was your priority, your work and your career, I'm giving you new priorities to catch men. And what does he invite them to do? To make more disciples. So what is a disciple? Let's get a working definition here. A disciple is a follower of Jesus who invites others to follow Jesus. You with me? A disciple is a follower of Jesus who invites others to follow Jesus. Mark Dever, some of you know him. He's a living pastor in the D.C. area and a church historian. He writes this. He says, to be a Christian means to be a disciple. There are no Christians who are not disciples, and to be a disciple of Jesus means to follow Jesus. There are no disciples of Jesus who are not following Jesus. And he goes on to say that we invite others to follow Jesus. We're not inviting them to check a certain box in the voting polls. We're not inviting them into a faith of our own traditions. We're not inviting them into our own personal preferences and ideologies and agendas. We're not even inviting them to come to a Sunday gathering, because even coming to a Sunday gathering does not make somebody a Christian. We're not even inviting them. We're not even inviting them to be like me or to be like you. We're inviting them to follow Christ and Christ alone. We are inviting them to receive something that they cannot achieve. We're inviting them to receive the salvation that they cannot work for, what we just sang about. It's by grace we are saved, not a result of our works. 
We're inviting them to receive this gift of salvation from Jesus that makes them, that turns them, that remakes them into disciples of Christ. Why? Because we want to show them that Christ received something else in their place. The punishment for their sins. Why? So that we can have acceptance as sons and daughters of the living God. This gospel is not achieved by us, but achieved by Jesus and received by us. Amen? And pay close attention to Matthew 28. We're not inviting them into our particular monoculture or monoethnicity. Christ says he is for all nations. He not only has authority over all the heavens, but he has authority over all of the nations. Ethnos, all tribes, all tongues, all people groups, all languages. He's sending us to all the earth. The gospel is not merely for one nation. It's for all nations. The gospel is not merely for one language. It's for all languages. They are people from here, there, and everywhere, sent here, there, and everywhere. And where do we get this language from? Where do we get this language from of here, there, and everywhere? It's Luke's recording of Jesus' great commission in Acts 1.8. Turn turn with me to Acts 1.8. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and all Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you see what this means? That if we follow Jesus, it means we are sent ones. Now imagine where the disciples are standing as they receive this. Where are the disciples? They're in Jerusalem. That would have been there here. Can you say here? Then he says, in all Judea and Samaria, that would have been there there. Can you say there? And I don't want you to miss what he's saying with Samaria. You know what Samaria was? Enemies. He's saying that the gospel that you are to be witnesses to is even for your enemies. We see here in Jerusalem, there in Judea and Samaria. And then he says to the ends of the earth, can you guess where that is? Everywhere, here, there, and everywhere. That language is not language that we use because it's memorable. It's language we use because this was the narrative of Jesus' first followers. They were from here, there, and everywhere, now sent here, there, and everywhere. Who, what are they? What are disciples? They're followers of Jesus who invite others to follow Jesus. They were made disciples to make more disciples. But we can't make disciples of Jesus without Jesus. And this is how they are made. Point number two. Look with me uh, in the final couple verses of Matthew 28. Look in your Bibles with me. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He says, baptize them. You know what this means? That discipleship begins pre-conversion. 
it begins before somebody is a believer. And when they believe in Christ, when they repent of their sins, you are to baptize them. And that baptism, it doesn't save a person. It's the sign that somebody is saved. Baptism doesn't change a person. It's the symbol that they are saved. What happened to, to Adam after he confessed and he believed that he has faith in Christ's work and not in what he has done? What do we do? We, we baptized him. Baptism is that symbol. It's an outward symbol of an inward reality. It's an outward demonstration of what has been happening internally. That someone has died to self and they're raised to new life in Christ. It's a symbol of the reality of the new covenant where the Apostle Paul puts it this way. In Romans 6, 4, he says, we are buried therefore with him by, say it with me, baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It's a symbol of newness of life. And I don't want you to ignore what he says next. The gospel that we invite others to believe is distinctively triune. We baptize them into who they have come to know through our proclamation of the gospel. Who do we baptize them into? The name of who? Say it with me. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know what this means? That they are declaring the story of salvation is distinctively triune. Look, look up with me on the screen. It's planned by the Father. It's purchased by the Son, and it's powered by the Holy Spirit. That all of salvation is distinctively triune, meaning what we baptize them into is who they've come to believe in, because salvation is by the triune God, planned by the Father, purchased by the Son, and empowered now by the Holy Spirit. And after baptism, Jesus says, I want you now to teach them what I've taught you. What does this show us? Is that baptism is not the finish line of Christianity. Baptism is the starting line of Christianity. You following me? Baptism is not the finish line. It's not the goal of Christianity. It's the starting line of Christianity. This is where, when we think about the recipe of discipleship, if we're thinking about discipleship as, as making a meal, underneath what we are making, followers of Jesus who invite others to follow Jesus, you'll see a little word on recipes sometimes. And it'll tell you the time that it makes, that it takes to make the meal, right? And I think if we had a recipe card for how to make disciples underneath time, it would say, a lifetime. It would say a lifetime. Most of us in the Western world, when we think about making something, we want it bigger, better, and faster. Do we not? And we come to discipleship. We say, listen, we, we just got to get them to confess Christ, dunk them into the baptism waters, and out they go. It's like a deep fryer approach to discipleship. But can I put before you that discipleship is 
more of a crock pot recipe than deep fryer. Or if you like smoked meats, it's a slow cooker. I mean, think about it for a section, a second. Deep frying is quick. Is it delicious? Oh yeah, get me some hook fish and chicken over on the east end. It's so good. Mm. Who said mm back there? Yes, yeah, so good. But it's not that healthy for the body. And I would say neither is deep fryer discipleship. It's not healthy for the church body. But when you think of the crock pot approach, it's holistic. You can put meats in there, veg, starches. You have all that you need for a holistic meal in one pot. And it's good for the body. But it takes time, does it not? It's a difference between five minutes in the deep fryer and eight to 12 hours in a crock pot. And I think that crock pot imagery for discipleship, it's not just healthy for our body, but it's healthy when we think about creating deep disciples that will make the body of Christ healthy. You with me? Why do we take this approach? It's because sharing the gospel takes time, does it not? I mean, think about how you came to faith in Christ. Did you believe the first time you heard the words, Jesus? It took me years to understand what Christ has done for me. It takes years. And then think about all that it takes to keep learning the ways of Christ after you become baptized. It takes time. It takes time. It's going to take time to teach others all. Did you see Jesus' words there? Jesus, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Teach them all that I've commanded to you. And here we see the second ingredient of the recipe to discipleship. The first ingredient is imperfect disciples like me and you. The second ingredient is the words of Jesus. How do we make disciples? We need imperfect disciples of Jesus with the perfect words of Jesus. And Jesus said all these words, the entirety of the Bible. His Bible was the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible. He saw all the Old Testament as his very own words, all pointing to him. He says, I'm not coming to abolish the law. I'm coming to fulfill it. And when he's the resurrected Jesus is meeting with his disciples at the end of Luke chapter 24. He says this to them. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about who? Can you say it? Me. Everything written about me. Where? In the law of Moses. It's the first five books of the Bible. And in the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He's saying everything in the Old Testament, all those words are about me. And I've fulfilled it all. And Luke, in his second volume that he wrote, he describes about disciples multiplying and increasing in number. But how? In Acts 6-7, he says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Look at what Luke doesn't say there. He doesn't say the building project and the size of the buildings increased. He didn't say the tempo or the volume of the music increased. No, he said what? The word of God increased. And what happened as a result? Disciples multiplied. 
the recipe is simple. Imperfect disciples like me, imperfect disciples like you, with the word of God, makes brand new disciples of Jesus. How do we make disciples? By increasing the word in our lives and by increasing this word, this word, into the lives of those around us. This is how we make disciples. This is why this service is centered on the word of God, because what does the word God do? It points us to our need for Jesus. This is why back there, all those little ones, you know what they're learning about? You know what's increasing back there in those, those rooms with those kids? The word of God. Why? To show them their need for Jesus. This is why in your community groups, it's centered on the word of God. Why? Because the word of God shows us our need for Jesus. This is why when we invite you to meet in discipleship groups with one another, we tell you to center your relationships on what? The word of God. Because it points you back to your need for Jesus. Jesus tells us to keep teaching them. And many of us, many of us just don't make this a priority in our lives. See, what keeps us from making disciples of Jesus? I want to put before you that the question isn't if you are making disciples. The question is rather, what type of disciples are you making? Words are multiplying in our lives. But is it the words of Jesus that are multiplying? Whose words come off your lips when you're around others? Those are the disciples, type of disciples you are making. It's not if you're making disciples, it's what type of disciples are you making. Some of you are making anti-disciples. You're anti-fill-in-the-blank. All you can talk about is what you're against. So the people around you become anti-disciples of someone or something. Some of you are making disciples of your own priorities. You're teaching those around you to center their lives around you and your preferences. So what type of disciples do you end up making? People who look like you, act like you, talk like you, same age as you, same preferences as you. We're all making disciples. What type of disciples are we making? But I know there's a large majority of you in here. Am I right to presume that many of you want to know how to make more disciples of Jesus? But many of you simply feel inadequate. You feel like you don't have the right skills, right amount of knowledge, some of you fear that you'll screw something up. 
that if you get something wrong, that Jesus and God will in fact leave you. That if you get this wrong, God will say, you are wrong and I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Or maybe you guys, you're there and you find yourself working so hard to make disciples, you are actually trying to convince God to stick around because of how great of a job you are doing. And when we focus on how great of a job we're doing or how horrible of a job we know we would do if we actually stepped in, you know what we're focusing on? Our works. What we're able to do and not able to do. But can I put before you this? That your imperfections, your inadequacies, your faults are not things that disqualify you from disciple making. It's actually the very thing that qualifies you to become a disciple of Jesus. It's to say, I'm not perfect, but he is. It actually frees us. It frees us to confess to one another that we often get these things wrong, but we know someone who makes it right. That we can go and tell other people, don't become more like me, but become more like him, and his name is Jesus. We tell people, we cannot fix you, but we know someone who can. That we cannot save you, but we know someone who can. That we cannot transform you, but we know someone who can, and his name is Jesus. Why are we able to do this? It's because in our imperfections, as imperfect disciples with the perfect word of God, we are showing them that we're not the ones who are perfect, but God is. And he doesn't leave us alone. He never forsakes us, but he's with us. He's with us. Even when we fail, he remains faithful. And this frees us. That type of grace frees us and empowers us to say, like, even if I screw this up, I have the promise with me that Jesus is not going to leave me. Because if my salvation was never about what I do, then neither is my sanctification is about what I do. If his coming for me, to die for me, was never about something that I did, then his staying with me for the rest of my days is never going to be about something that I do, but solely based on who he is and the work he's done. And how do I know this is true? It's because I know about another man who thought he was perfect. Who thought he was perfect? Who was the best second in command any leader can ever want or wish or hope for? This man was a, a second in command in a small startup movement. And over again, he would remind the leader of the movement that he would do anything for him. That he had, there was nowhere else to go. He had nowhere else to go but to him himself. He said, I would even die for you. I will never leave you. And then in the middle of the night, his leader was taken away. And when in the second in command was asked, do you know that man? He denied him. Not once, not twice, but thrice. Some of you know who I'm talking about. It's the Apostle Peter. Thought he was perfect. 
thought he can follow Jesus underneath his own strength. And what does Peter go and do after he denies Jesus? He goes back to catching fish again. That's where we find him at the end of the gospel. And here comes the resurrected Jesus. Comes up to the shore. And I just wonder if we can put ourselves in Peter's shoes. Maybe you're like Peter. Maybe you have denied Christ in front of somebody this week. Maybe you have failed to live up to your word to follow Jesus. What would it be like to see the risen Savior on the shore? I mean, if I were Peter, I'd be, I'd be terrified. I'd be filled with fear. Can Jesus still use me? Or the biggest fear, does he want anything to do with me? Well, just as God sought out Adam and Eve in the garden when they were hiding and filled with shame, he came and restored them, clothed them, and forgave them. Jesus, the God-man, now seeks out Peter. He didn't wait for Peter to come to him because Peter wasn't coming. So Jesus goes to him, and he restores him. And you know what he tells Peter to do? Teach them. Feed them. Teach them. If anyone thought he could never be used again for the kingdom of God, it's the apostle Peter. And in the same way, Jesus is now standing at the end of the gospel of Matthew, not just with Peter. Peter is there, but the, all the other disciples who left him. And he says to them, even though you left me, I'm here to remind you that I will never leave you. Because when I came for you, I did not come for you. I was not sent for you when you decided to, sh to shape up and be perfect. No, Christ came for us. He was sent for us while we were still what? Sinners. And when he went to the cross for us, he didn't decide to go to the cross for us and sacrifice his life for us because we fixed ourselves up. No, he went to the cross for us while we were still what? Sinners. And when he was in that grave, dead for three days, he wasn't waiting around for those three days, waiting for us to fix ourselves, us to remake ourselves, to make our own selves new. No, he was resurrected from the grave while we were still what? Sinners. While we were still imperfect. See, if the death of Christ shows us anything, it shows us that Jesus was forsaken on the cross, not just so that we can be forgiven, it is that, but so that also we won't be forgotten, and God will never leave us or forsake us, and since he has been sent for us, we now are sent out towards others, and if you're wondering right now, if you're afraid that you will screw this up, if you're afraid that you'll do this imperfectly, I would submit to you that you're forgetting the gospel that you claim to believe. Jesus doesn't need perfect disciples to make perfect disciples. But Jesus loves, he wants to use imperfect disciples to keep making more imperfect disciples because it points to his perfection. It points to his fullness. It points to his grace and his love for us, not because of what we do. Amen? 
And so when we are sent out, knowing that he was first sent for us, we do not wait for others to fix themselves before we go to them. No, we are sent to them knowing that we're not calling perfect people to Jesus. We're calling imperfect people to Jesus like me and you. And he tells us, even as you go out with all your imperfections, I'm going to be with you. How is he going to be with us? Well, he says, it's better for me to go away, to be ascended to the right hand of the Father, so that I can send you the fullness of my presence in the Spirit. Do you know what this means? It means that it's better to have his presence inside of us than it is to have Jesus beside us. J.D. Greer, as we close down today, he asks us this question. Do you consider your connection to the Holy Spirit so strong and real that you regard this presence in you to be a better advantage than Jesus himself beside you? You know what that Holy Spirit is? If we want to keep using this meal analogy, that Holy Spirit is what made us into disciples and will make others into disciples. We are just ingredients. But that Holy Spirit is like that crock pot that we turn on and we let him do the work according to his time, regardless of how long it takes. That we go other out teaching others to observe all that Jesus commands. And what does the Spirit do? He transforms. We teach, he transforms. We go out speaking the gospel of Jesus. We speak, the Spirit applies salvation. And so let us be a people who do not rely on our own power and our own strength to make more disciples. But in the same way that we have been made by the triune God, and remade in Christ by the triune God, we're now going out and saying it's only this triune God that can change people and can save people like he's done for me and he's done for you. Amen? Let's go out making disciples of Jesus, not without Jesus, but with him present in us. Let's go out, let's go out knowing that we were made to make more. 